You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Giant fans, welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants. My name is Patricia Trena, and I am your host for today. Ed Valentine is off today. And uh, for this show, I am joined by a very special guest. His name is Deuce Windham, and he is a writer for The Athletic down in New Orleans. And he's joining me today to help preview the Giants-Saints game this weekend at the Meadowlands. Deuce, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on with me. No, thank you, uh, because you're actually an hour ahead of me. So you had to you know, stay up a little bit late so we could get this done, but I appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun matchup up there in New York. Yeah, it definitely is. It's going to be uh, a lot of people are predicting a shootout, given you know the potency of the, the Saints offense, the potential of the Giants offense. You know, they haven't scored 30 points. You know, when you look at that Saints offense, I mean, what – you know, I, I think you start with Drew Brees, and and just what is it about him? I mean, he's he's complete completing over eighty percent of his passes. I mean, how's he getting this done? Well, I think the biggest thing with Drew, is, is he's just so efficient in everything that he does. And I mean, I, everybody's talked ad nauseum for his routine, his diet. I mean, just like Tom up there, I mean, he he devotes his life to the game. I mean, it's not just a you know, he comes to practices. I mean, he formulates everything he does 365 days a year around it. And that's how he's able to keep playing at this point. But even with that, as great as Drew is, you know, he is 39. There are some things he can't do now that he, you know, could do in 2009. But he's also surrounded by such stellar talent. You know, Michael Thomas right now in contention for being a top five receiver. Some are already considered in the top receiver so far this year. You got Alvin Kamara, rookie of the year. You've got one of the better offensive lines they've had under Bree tenure so it's not just breeze i mean he's surrounded by a lot of talent and then you've got a great play caller and sean payton just so many things that go into this puzzle right here that complete the story now i was spending some time uh, earlier today uh as we record this it's actually a thursday evening uh but uh i was spending some time earlier today watching some film and just looking at some statistics and some analytics and whatnot and Apparently, the key or one of the keys to the Saints offense is that Breeze is just a microsurgeon when it comes to picking apart the middle Mm -hmm. of the field, those short to intermediate range passes. But I want to ask you this, you know, how is he with the deep ball? Is he is he as good as he was Mm. maybe years ago? Well, Saints fans aren't going to like it, and anytime I bring this up, they, they never they they basically turn off the show. But no, Drew's arm at 39 is not what it was, and I think a common misconception among a lot of fans when they hear people say, "Oh, well, his arm strength is diminishing," that doesn't mean he can't throw at 40 yards. Drew can still sling a football 50 yards, but when your arm uh, strength diminishes as you get older as a quarterback, the ball placement is the first thing that starts to disappear. So it's not that he can't throw it 40, 50 yards anymore. It's that he can't pinpoint it 50 yards anymore, which means the guy's got to be really open so that he doesn't risk throwing an interception. Now, don't let that confuse anybody. Drew is still willing to push the field. You saw it last year with Ted Ginn, but those pushes come less often, and they do focus more on the intermediate to short areas of the field in the passing game. And I think that comes anytime you have a quarterback reaching this point 
in their career, you have to adjust to their style of play and what they can still do. Yeah, definitely. And same situation with Eli Manning, with some people thinking that Eli Manning no longer can, can pinpoint, you know, the deep balls as well. So we certainly have heard that up here as well. When you look at Drew Brees, you know, there's there's a, a, a school of thought, and I don't know how accurate it is. Maybe you can tell me, but there's a school of thought that he's not the same quarterback when he is playing in the dome versus when he is playing away from the dome. Do you see that? You know, there's some truth to it, but I would say that if you compare him to his peers, and I've gone through and done this, basically every quarterback in the NFL, regardless of where they play initially at home, benefit from dome situations. The the, the turf, the environment, the, the air pressure is all set to where it's optimal. It's a faster game, so everybody sees a slight knockdown when you go outside. I mean, be, you talk about it. You go in the dome, it's nice, it's air conditioned. You don't have a you know a 12-mile-per-hour headwind you're throwing into at any given time. But if you look at Drew's career stats, outdoors versus indoors, we're not talking about this crazy drop-off. I mean, he's still throwing outdoors for his career 65%. He still has an over 90 rating playing outdoors. He's still throwing over seven yards of attempt outdoors. And that's just his career numbers. That's not even putting down recent numbers. So does his numbers go down a little bit? Yeah, but guess what? Tom Brady plays better in a dome. Big Ben plays better in a dome. And yet those are guys who naturally play outside. So yeah, there is a bit there, but I think it's kind of one of those things where it's a universal argument. It's better for everybody to play in a dome and it's harder for everybody to play outside. Now, let me ask you this. You know, I've watched Breeze on film. And he just looks unstoppable. But with that said, he is human. And like mm-hmm. any other human, I'm sure he's got his flaws and his weaknesses. So what do you think the key is to stopping Drew Brees or at least slowing him down? I don't know that you can stop him, but, you know, slowing him down. Well, I think for New York, some of the key things that they've got to do is interior pressure. I mean, Snacks has got to eat. You know, and if you can get that on Drew, and it's not just his height, but it does play a factor. If you can get in his face, we're not talking about a guy who's Aaron Rodgers who's going to roll out 10 yards and then throw a 60-yard pass downfield on you. I mean, if you can make him move, get him out of the pocket, he can still hurt you, but any type of pressure is going to affect him. And I'd also say that something he's struggled with in his career, if you could call it a struggle, is he's had a propensity to throw some interceptions in the short middle of the field. So linebackers that sneak underneath crossing routes, things like that, have gotten to him before. Obviously, we're talking about Drew Brees. This isn't a consistent problem. It's not something that's plagued him. But generally, anything that you can get in front of his face, because he throws a lot of timing routes and concepts that are about him putting a ball in a spot, that doesn't mean he always sees the spot. You know, uh, one thing we like to talk about quarterbacks is, a lot of times when they're playing the game, they're operating on color flash. They're not seeing Michael Thomas wear a 13 in the middle of the field, see black and gold. They're seeing a color. So they're throwing to a spot and a color, and that can be problems, and you can disrupt that if you get pressure on him. And I think that's a key for New York. If they're going to win at home, they've got to pressure Drew and don't let him slice them up with guys like Kamara and Thomas. Now, speaking of Kamara and Thomas, let's talk a little bit about those two, starting with Kamara. Now, something I found really interesting about uh, last week's game is that Kamara was targeted, I believe, 20 times in the passing Mm -hmm. game. Thomas was only targeted 10. Uh, Quite unusual to see a running back targeted way more than the number one receiver, wouldn't you say? It is at times, but then again with the Saints offense, not as much where even though the Saints run a, you know, 
it's it's a West Coast variant. You know, it's kind of their own unique brand. The passing game for guys like Alvin Kamara has always been an extension of the run game. So maybe it's a Texas concept up the middle or it's a swing pass outside. Or, and in some cases, it's even lining up Kamara as a receiver out wide and having him run a go route or a comeback or something like that. So for New Orleans, it's really not that different because, you know, we're used to seeing guys like Pierre Thomas and Reggie Bush and Mark Ingram all might see a game where they get 10 targets or, you know, maybe a little bit more. Now, to be fair, 20 is a lot. I mean, it's the most of his career and – I don't expect him to see that amount, you know, this week. But we're also talking about a guy who's a pretty special talent in Camara, and and when you have that, you want to play through your playmakers. And, and like like you said, Thomas did get a little bit less in looks, but is Thomas also helping open up some of that shorter area of the field because you have to respect him as a receiver? Now I want to. I just want to stick with Camara for a moment here because mm-hmm. you know in New York, obviously. A lot of the questions that were asked of the defensive players was, you know, does practicing against the Juan Barkley help you prepare for Kamara? And every player I spoke with this week said, not the same type of, you know, player. Now, I don't know how mm-hmm. much you know about, you know, Saquon Barkley, if you studied him coming out of college and whatnot, but, how, you know, what you do know of him, how does Kamara differ from, from a Saquon Barkley? Well, I did get to study Barkley quite a bit. Uh, he, he was one of the guys I looked at for the inside of the pylon draft guide that I helped uh, write for, and I actually wrote about him on my own draft guide. I, I think that they aren't necessarily similar, but they can both hurt you in similar ways, if that makes sense. So, you know, Saquon's build is completely different than Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is a guy who's about 15, 20 pounds less. But he has this ability when it comes to his balance and how he can contort his body to where when you hit him, it's like he just absorbs the energy and it doesn't phase him. He doesn't take big hits, even if he's getting hit by a big linebacker. It's really hard to describe. And if anybody's ever seen him play, you can you can kind of understand that. Whereas Saquon Barkley is more like Reggie Bush if you put 30 more pounds on him. He's just this big brute who's also a dancing ballerina. So they're two different types, but Barkley's athleticism does give him something unique that um, not a lot of people have in this league, especially at the running back position. And I think that could help a little bit if you're New York maybe going against that. But just to be honest, and this isn't me just trying to be the other team knocking your guys there's really not a single linebacker in this league that I'm going to say can go head to head against Alvin Kamara and win, you know, much at all, let alone consistently. And it doesn't matter if you've got a Barkley or a Gurley or whoever on the other side, there's just some guys who are really special and you have to devote extra attention to them because of that. Yeah. He's, he's, he's quite a runner. I know he was the guy that when he came out in the draft, I, I, I was hoping the giants might be able to grab him, but of course, you know, they went in a different direction unfortunately, but quite a running, running back. I mean, he's, he's certainly, you know, given uh, a boost to that offense. Not that that offense needed it, but uh, <laughs> probably was the missing piece, I guess, in that. And let's talk a little bit about Michael Thomas. You know, you, you started to mention about some of the things he helps uh, that offense mm-hmm. do. You know, again, some people have, I think, erroneously compared him to Odell Beckham Jr. I I, I don't see the comparison. I mean, what, what do you see that Thomas brings um, besides, you know, what you previously mentioned that, that just, you know, makes it so impossible for teams to stop? Well, like you, I don't get the comparison there. I think that they can – it's kind of like we just talked about Kamara and Barkley. You know, they can both be played – in similar roles, but they're two completely different types of receivers where, you know, Odell's got that 
that threat as a deep threat, you know, he can burn you. He can, his vision on the field in terms of being able to find holes and, and make yards after catch. And he just really excels in that. And that's not saying that Thomas does it, but Thomas is more your traditional split in in that West coast offense. He's that number one can slide down the slot. He's going to dominate the slants, the crossing patterns, you know, the, the, the comeback routes, the, the pivot routes, all that he can just, destroy you at if you put him in man he's going to kill you to pivot route if you drop in a zone he's going to find the hole I think that's what makes him so special is you know you look at him he's not the greatest athlete in terms of speed he's not the strongest guy even if he's got strength you know he doesn't have the highest vertical he doesn't have the biggest body but he does everything well and he's got everything you know (laughs) like I said his hands his footwork his release is all elite. And I think that's kind of what makes him special because he's different than everybody else. He's not the Beckham who's got the elite speed. He's not the Calvin Johnson with the size and the speed. You know, he, he's his own individual. And when you look at him play, you, you can just see that he can do anything he wants. If he wants to run a crossing pattern on you and get 15 yards after the catch, he's going to do it. If he wants to just do a quick six-yard hitch, he's going to do it. If he wants to run a post route and get at your safety, he can do it. I think that's something that it, it makes him so difficult to defend against because am I going to play a safety on him with bracket coverage or am I going to go man to man, you know, and just trust my guy to defend against 6'3, 215 pound size? As I said, he's a matchup problem. The second most, <laughs> the second closest stretch in the first three games of the season was by Julio Jones, and he caught 73.9%. We're talking about a guy catching 21% higher than Julio Jones in a similar stretch. Surely he might come down from the stratosphere at some point, but right now he is the hot hand. All right, sounds good. You are listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trana, joined by Deuce Windham. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Saints' defense. So stay with us. Welcome back to Locked on Giants. This is Patricia Trana, and I'm joined by Deuce Windham. He is the... He is a writer for The Athletic down in New Orleans, covers the New Orleans Saints, and he is helping me break down the Giants' opponent this weekend. And uh, we just concluded talking about the offense. So now let's turn our attention to the defense. And just give give us an overview of of what the Saints' defense is all about. Ooh, it's bad. It's not good. It's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it definitely hasn't been the first two weeks. And and what we've seen, at least what I've seen going through the tape, is a lot of what we saw last year, which was the talent is there, but communication problems, blown coverages, just guys getting beat that – you're not used to seeing, and we're starting to see it get a little bit better as it progresses. Now, one thing I like to do, I'm not sure how y'all are over there, and yes, I did say y'all on a northern show, I'm sorry, but division games are kind of those games where you kind of have to throw them out the window a little bit because no matter how good the team is, they just seem to be special. I mean, it could be week 16, and we're talking about teams that are <laughs> have won one game going against a team that won 10, yet it's a it's a slugfest because it's the divisional rivalry and the saints have had two divisional games already and tampa came in as a little bit of a surprise caught the saints off guard they weren't ready won that one and then they had this slugfest against atlanta and i think that kind of distorts what the defense can be because those teams know each other so well that said the secondary has had some struggles Lattimore didn't come out of the gate looking like that defensive rookie of the year that he's gotten better and 
I think that this is an opportunity for them to try to even the boat a little bit and show that they're not the 30th ranked defense in the NFL. Now, are they going to live up to Saints fans' expectations where a lot of them were expecting them to be top five coming into the season? I I don't know. We definitely haven't seen that yet. But right now, if there's something that the New York Giants can target, it's definitely the secondary as they're reeling, they're trying to get back in, they've lost a little bit of their confidence and their swagger. And if you can keep them down, you can take advantage of them. And they also have some injuries. In, uh, I believe they just lost Michael Robinson, I believe. Patrick Robinson. Patrick yeah, they, Robinson, yes. They I'm lost sorry. their slot corner, Patrick Robinson, for the year to uh, a broken ankle, uh, which was pretty – it's rough because he was arguably their most consistent corner through three weeks and was actually looking pretty well. And this opens up a big hole in their defense because they're not really sure who's going to fill that spot. They've had P.J. Williams, who struggled immensely against the young Calvin Ridley in, in Atlanta. They've got Von Bell – Who's a who's a guy coming into a third year, but he's played free safety, he's played strong safety, and hasn't really found himself a, just a little nesting role. He's been kind of all over the place and not consistent. And then they brought in Kirk Coleman from the Carolina Panthers, who has not lived up to the contract that he signed, which was the most lucrative contract for a safety this past offseason. So right now the slot is a bit of a scare. You know, for New Orleans, that's something they don't have to pay attention to. You know, are they are the Giants going to slide Odell inside, Shepard inside? You know, uh, y'all have got some injuries as well with Evan Ingram being out, which would be a real threat to exploit that weakness. But with that injury, it does open up a hole in this defense that I'm not sure they're, they even know how they're going to address at this game. You know, it's funny. You talk about the problems in the secondary, and they're so identical to what the Giants are going through because I don't think the Giants have ever really, you know, said this is going to be our slot cornerback going forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the injury to Eli Apple, you know, there's a chance he might be back. I personally don't think he's going to be back this week. But, you know, they, they played B.W. Webb on, in the slot. Mm-hmm. You know, last week, I think Michael Thomas saw some time in the slot. So just just a, a you know revolving door there. So we Giant fans can certainly relate to what, what the Saints are going through. Let's talk about the run defense because I, I find this very interesting. Now, I looked at uh, some of the stats, and mm-hmm. I also looked at the competition. And I'm not trying to put anybody down or anything, but it just seems to me like – uh, the Saints, they, I think they have the sixth best run defense right now in the NFL. But when you look at the quality of running backs they have faced, they haven't really had like, a, you know, a, an Ezekiel Elliott or, mm-hmm. or, or a, a, you know, an Alvin Kamara type or a Saquon Barkley type. Is yeah. what we're seeing from the Saints run defense an illusion or is there some legitimacy to it? Well, I think it's. I think the truth is there's always a mix of both because you can't help who you play against. And you brought up the the six rated defense. Another fact about the Saints when it comes to the run, they're actually the best in the NFL right now in terms of yards per carry allowed at three yards per carry, an insanely no low number. Yet as you mentioned, they haven't gone against a premier talent. But in, and also in the reverse, you look at the secondary woes. Yet they've gone against the Bucks, who have arguably one of the best receiving groups as a whole in the NFL. When against Atlanta, who in my opinion have the best receiving. Group group in the NFL you know so those stats can always get skewed based on the level of competition that you're playing and I do think that New York has got a better running back than they've seen thus far because Freeman was hurt for the Falcons and I do think that they have a very good receiving core that can take advantage of some of the problems but I do think there's talent there and I think the front seven has come out looking really strong they and they put forth effort to do that they went and got Demario Davis from the New York Jets who a lot of your fans might be familiar with who's looked really good he, he's still getting a to the team, but 
the third week of the season was his best week so far, and he continues to improve. And and they, if you follow any type of defensive lineman, you know, or the defensive line guys on Twitter who like to share off all the gifs and talk about these guys, the Saints have one of the most underrated groups in the NFL. You've got a star in Cameron Jordan. You've got Sheldon Rankins and David Onyemata in the middle, who are both very good pieces, and Alex Okafor, who has been a very very quiet but strong run defender. And then you went and got Marcus Davenport in the draft, who's already starting to show a little bit of that freakish athleticism that a lot of people saw in him and how he could affect the pass. So I I do think it's a mix. I do think they haven't seen the greatest talent, but I'll also say this. It's not just about the running backs either. I've been seeing this defensive line consistently win against offensive line in one-on-ones, just beating the man across from them. So while the running back, arguments there i also think this defensive line has come out and really done well this year especially the past two games i want to uh, zoom in on cam jordan because i think he's the the saints leader in sacks or he might be tied mm-hmm. for, for the lead i'm not sure maybe it was tied for the lead uh league-wide yeah. he's gonna likely go up against chad wheeler the giants right tackle mm-hmm. who last year got i'm sorry last week got his first start of the year Against J.J. Watt, no less. Against J.J. Watt, exactly. And and uh, he battled. He, you know, wasn't perfect, but, you know, J.J. Watt will give anybody fits. I don't care if it's a, a rookie or, or an all-pro right tackle. But um, what – Watching Jordan, it just seems like he 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 has a variety of moves, a, a mm-hmm. variety of ways he attacks. It's not like he's got that quick, you know. He always uses that quick swim move to get over guys. He he'll attack them on the inside, on the outside. I mean, how do you stop this guy, or at least slow him down? Well, the, the quick answer is to double team him, and that is what a lot of teams have tried to do. And, and they'll chip him with a tight end, they'll chip him with a running back, anything they can do to just kind of slow him down a little bit because he is going to be a tough matchup. And as you said, it's the moves. I mean, he's got a push pull, he's got a very nice bull rush, he's got a long arm, he, he's got a rip move, an over the top swim, and he combos moves really well. I mean, if he's got to use a forklift and, and you know a bull rush together, he's going to do it. And he's just one of those premier guys at his position. I say it'd be very tough for you to find a guy who plays on his side of the line as good or better than him in the NFL right now. That's just the level he's playing as an all-pro player. And if you're the Giants, you've got to put some effort there because you don't want him harassing Eli Manning. One of the drawbacks to that, though, is if you double Jordan, you have to single up somebody else. Sheldon Rankins has had two really good seasons with this year and then last year. Last year, racking up over 40 pressures by himself. So he's been able, when he gets one-on-ones, he takes advantage. And something else the Saints like to do is they have arguably one of the best tackle-to-end stunt duos between Rankins and Jordan in the league. So if you start doubling up on Jordan, something they like to do is they like to run a stunt where they drive Rankins into the guard and tackle to drive them out of the way and then loop Cameron Jordan behind him to get to the quarterback. So something to be on the eye for. If you put a lot of help on Wheeler, the Saints might start trying to run extra blitz packages and stunt packages to that side to free up Cameron Jordan to get to the quarterback. Wow, he sounds like he's going to be a handful for sure. Now, let me ask you, the Giants are not going to have Evan Ingram, as as we mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier in the program. From the Saints' perspective, how is that an advantage? What, What do they gain by not having to defend an Evan Ingram? Well, I think the biggest thing is that it changes how the Saints can defend the middle of the field. And one thing that I felt 
even going into last year that this team kind of struggled against is something that I feel players like Odell are really good at, and that's like crossing patterns, the mesh concept, quick things over the middle that you know are beating man concepts because the Saints like to run a lot of match coverage. There's cover threes and man unders because they want their guys to go one-on-one against some of these receivers. And I think if you have a guy like Evan Ingram who can attack the seam and drive those players up, it creates huge holes underneath. And without that, I think that the Saints have a little bit more of an advantage in that area. Still, though, it's something I'm worrying about. I'm not looking at the Giants and saying, oh, well, they can't attack this part of the field because I think they've got OBJ. They've got Shepard. I mean, they can certainly still target it. But missing Ingram, I think, takes a key piece because this is a spot when you're talking about the slot in the short area that I feel the Saints are really weak at coming into this game. So not having Ingram is a bit of a blow for New York. You're listening to Locked On Giants. I'm Patricia Trainer, joined by Deuce Windham. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back for segment three of the program and wrap up our preview of the New Orleans Saints. Stay with us. Welcome back to Locked On Giants. I am Patricia Trainer, joined by Deuce Windham of the Athletic New Orleans. And we are breaking down the New Orleans Saints who come to town on Sunday to take on the New York Giants. And Deuce, let's turn the attention now to special teams. I always like to touch upon special teams because it can make or break mm-hmm. a game. Uh, what can you tell us about the Saints specials? Well, the special teams is much improved. They've had Thomas Morstead for a while, who's one of the better punters in the league. I don't think you can say he's the best, but he consistently has good hang time, good depth, and you know he doesn't get a lot of punts blocked. He gets it out pretty quick. So talented there. But the big name when it comes to the Saints special teams is actually a quarterback, Taysom Hill. He's been an electrifying guy in the return game. Also gets used a lot in gadget plays on offense, but he also is a defense guy on punt returns and kick returns. How many quarterbacks do you know play on special teams coverage? He's just that type of an athlete. And he's been a guy that if you need to tackle on special teams, he's there. He did it against Atlanta. If you need a return, he had a 40-plus yard return against the Cleveland Browns and a kick return. And just some of those situations, he's just been a just the stud who's come in and helped provide a spark that the special teams hasn't had in a while. They also have some good, reliable guys. You know, they have the Chris Banjo and the Justin Hardy, you know, those special teamers that every fan knows about their team, but every other team around the league has no idea who you're talking about. So, of course, the Saints have those type of players. But I think it's an improved unit. I wouldn't say that they're the best in the league by any means, but this is something that just two years ago I felt that the Saints really struggled with. Special teams was something that teams could take advantage of, and I think they're finally getting to the point where it's a little stronger, and uh, while I don't see them being a team that you have to worry about taking one to the house, the biggest thing is that their coverage units have improved tremendously, and they're putting offenses in a much more difficult spot in terms of starting position, and that's been the biggest thing for the Saints special teams unit. When you look at the special teams breakdowns, you know, where do you see the Saints really having the advantage over the Giants? Was would it be the punting team, the kickoff team, the return, you know, kickoff return, punt return? Where's the advantage? You know, I, I think it has to go to the coverage unit. Uh, you know, it's I, now I'll also openly say that while I've studied the Giants film and I went through special teams is not something I focused on. Uh, not that I'm saying y'all are good or bad, but I think that the Saints just have a consistent, you know, uh, team in that regard. One thing I will say that they have is they have a young kicker named Will Lutz, and he, he's kicking over 86. percent He's this is his third season doing well. But one thing he has, and not a lot of kickers seem to have this around the league. 
He's very, very good in clutch moments. You need a big kick at the end of the quarter, you know, the end of the half, or even at the end of the game. He consistently hits those. And I said, I don't know how the Giants are in that area, but if there's a situation where we have got to get a kick, if you're New Orleans and, you know, this is a game winner, a game tire. We have gotten very confident. We're very confident in this young kicker, and he's come through in the clutch several times. So I don't know how that compares to New York, but I will say that we feel in New Orleans that's an advantage for the Saints. Yeah, we have a, a young kicker as well by the name of uh, Aldrich Rosas. And uh, last year wasn't a very good year for him. He was up and down, but so far, knock on wood, he hasn't missed a kick yet. So um, that's you know, great. Much, much improved, actually. You know, he was he was a big topic today when special teams coordinator Thomas McGahee was was on the podium, spoke very highly of Aldrich Rosas. Uh, give me the name of a player. Uh, on the Saints, who's kind of flying under the radar, but who's just so, you know, really made a difference. I know you mentioned uh, the young man on special teams, the quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. as a guy who, you know, a lot of people probably haven't heard of. Who who else, you know, on the Saints do you think can kind of sneak up and just kind of make, a, make the Giants go, wow, where did that guy come from? <laughs> well, I think there's a couple of them. And now with the Saints, it's kind of hard to pick because so many other teams have heard about all of our players now because they, you know, you get to a winning record, you start winning awards. So everybody knows about Lattimore and Kamara and Cam Jordan. But I think defensively, kind of an underrated guy is the defensive tackle pair they have in Sheldon Rankins and David Onyemata. Uh, David Onyemata is from Nigeria. He played in, in uh, the Canadian football He's only been playing football for about five years. I mean, in terms of his whole life, not just professionally. So it's a very new game to him. He's continuing to grow, but he's just a guy that you watch him and it's not all there yet. You know, he's not the greatest in his move sets or anything yet, but he's just dominant in his power. And and when it works, he can just ragdoll an offensive line. And then in the opposite regard, you've got Sheldon Rankins, who, while doesn't have that just that strength where you feel like he's going to pick a guy up and throw him, he's a technician. He knows everything he needs to do. He knows exactly how to attack you. He will break you down and wear you down throughout the game. And he's going to find a way to get on your nerves. And I think that are some underrated qualities. And keep in mind, I'm a trench guy. I mean, some people love running backs. Some people love quarterbacks. I love big men punching each other in the trenches. So these are two players that I really feel can be a make or break or, you know, just really change the course of the game for them because they can control the line of scrimmage and get pressure in the interior. And even if that means clearing something out for Davenport or Jordan, those are two guys that you have to watch for. And there's some underrated names that you don't get here talked about a lot because they do the nitty gritty work, but they don't light up the stat sheet. You like those hog mollies too, huh? Oh, I love them. Oh, yes. <laughs> something you and G- uh, Giants general manager Dave Gettleman have in common there. Well, see, uh, you mentioned Gettleman. Well, I trained with Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy, who also is familiar with uh, Gettleman. So it kind of part of I'm way, way down it, but part of that similar tree there. Yeah, I love the interior. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to train with, with Dan Hatman, too, starting in the in the the uh, winter. So I'm looking forward to doing that as well. Because, you're, you're, you know, Dan, Dan's been a guest on our show a couple of times. Just a really great guy. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely. Dan. So anyway, let's let's, um, you know, a couple more questions. Just want to ask you, number one, do you see this game as as boiling down to a, a scoring shootout? If I'm honest with you, it depends on what you define a shootout. For, like, if I had to give you a score prediction, it would be something like 27 to 20. And 
to me, that's not really a shootout. Now, that's more than the average of most teams in the NFL score, you know, something around 27 points. But when you just talk about the Saints scoring 43 in Atlanta, I don't think they get to that mark. I think one of the things that plays into that is that this is going to be an away game and outdoors. And I think the game slows down a little bit. It gets a little bit tougher. And, you know, you don't usually see as many 40- and 50-point barn burners as much as you would, whereas if we go just a couple years ago when the Giants came to New Orleans, you know, both teams are scoring over 40 points in a shootout. Drew Brees is throwing for, you know, it seems like seven, eight touchdowns. Eli Manning's throwing for five, six touchdowns. And you just don't see that as often in those outdoor situations. That's kind of how I'm seeing it here. And I also am looking at two teams that have got talented pieces, but maybe everything's not clicking for them yet. So for me, I'm scaling it back and seeing them both be in the 20s range. And uh, we'll just have to see who comes out on top. And then finally, what's one thing that could happen but would surprise you if it happened in this game you know be it from you know something you see from the saints or or just how you see the game unfolding well i mean i i think i kind of have to flip on what i just said it would be very surprising for me to see this go to like one of those 43 to 41 shootouts where odell's got you know three touchdowns saquon barkley's got two touchdowns and kamara and thomas lighten it up i think you know as much as we talk about these guys we could see not pedestrian, but kind of scaled back numbers, you know, just by the nature of how this game is going to be. I think it's going to be a little bit of a tougher game than it's getting credit for. I, I think these two teams both want to show that they can win up front. And uh, I, I know that a lot of people have been ragging the Giants O-line. And let me tell you, players hear that and players hate it. Players want to be the best at their position. And, and even though the Giants have had some turmoil there, I know they want to work well as a group and they want to focus in on that. And the coaching staff wants to help them be better as a unit. And the Saints are the same way. The Saints know that the easiest way to help out their secondary who's been struggling is to whoop the boys in front of them on the, along the offensive and defensive lines. So I think that's kind of where my focus is coming to this game is there's some games like the Atlanta game. I just see everybody airing it out, man. You might as well just send your receivers. It's like it's football in the park and I'll just throw the football and you catch it. But this game, it just gives me more of that nittier, grittier feel. And I think that's how either team is going to win is they control the trenches. What better way to, to start off the fall season up here in New York than to see good old-fashioned, you know, grinding no, uh, grinding football? Yeah. And I, see, I'd love to have that type of a game. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's what it sounds like. And, of course, it's a 4.30 start, 4.30 Eastern mm-hmm. start. So, uh, you know, it's going to probably be a little cooler. It's going to probably, you know, get darker a little, you know, a lot quicker. So, and who knows, it may be, be even windier. I know it's been windy lately up here. You know, we've had a lot of rain, so we'll see how the elements factor into it. Deuce, before we uh, call it a show, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter, on, on social media, and where they can find all your work? Yeah, definitely. And uh, first off, thanks again for having me on. I've really enjoyed being on the show with you and just talking ball. If you can't tell, I really enjoy it, passionate about it. And if you guys want to follow my work and uh, a lot of y'all are going to be Giants fans, that's fine. My focus on the athletic that I write about is film study. So not just telling you, you know, why the Saints did this or that, but just trying to teach the game because it's a game I really love. And, you know, I went through the scouting academy with Dan Hatman, as I kind of mentioned before. And, you know, this has been my thing, worked as a scout for inside the pylon and just love football. So if you want to come hang out with me, learn a little about football, and maybe you can teach me something about football, feel free to join me on The Athletic. Just go to the NFL tab, hit Saints, and you'll find my stuff. And I'd love to have you join me. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rev Deuce Windham, R-E-V-D-E-U-C-E-W-I-N-D-H-A-M. 
All right, folks, definitely check his work out. You know, and I, of course, write for The Athletic, cover the Giants, and I have seen Deuce's work. Definitely worth the read. And remember, if you get a subscription, you not only can see my work and Dan Duggan's work, you can also see Deuce's work in all the entire cities of The Athletic Network. So make sure you check that out. Thanks, as always, for listening. You've been listening to Locked On Giants, Patricia Trena, and thanks to Deuce Windham. And we will come back to you next week, at Valentine and I, and we will break down the results of the Giants-Saints game. And hopefully uh, Giants fans will have a victory to talk about. So have a great weekend and enjoy your football.